You're listening to Brave New Words on FabRadioInternational.com or more likely via the Wonky Spanner or possibly via the Starburst Magazine series podcasts. You should buy Starburst Magazine because it's excellent. I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and this is Brave New Words. I'm here with... I'm Ross. And I'm Dal. Uh, on today's show, we're going to head towards Middle Earth and quiz some hobbits. But first up, a jingle. Starburst Radio, the greatest radio show in the universe. Every Wednesday, 9pm till 11pm. Exclusive to Fab Radio International. That was a jingle. It was a jingle. We're getting good at spotting these things. They they are lovely. They are lovely jingles. So, um, slight departure, because it feels a bit odd. We're recording this show in the, the, the winter... Um, and you're listening to the show in the winter, and it feels a bit odd that it's winter and there's nothing Hobbit related. Because for the, like the last what decade or so, so, there's been a regular supply of Hobbits. More, more, Is it more. It? I'd say like fifteen 20, years. Fifteen years of since Hobbits. Fellowship came out. Yeah, but it's been about three years since the last of the Hobbit. Are we in the hibernation period of the Hob- of the Lord of the Rings? The hibernation of the rings. The hibernation yeah. of a hobbit. Well, yeah, I mean, you have a spate of three active seasons, and then you have a lot of hibernating seasons, and then they come back again. So I think we're in the middle of the, the next hibernation phase, and then, you know, the summer is clearly out in about four years. That's a lovely theory of the one fatal flaw that it's complete nonsense. <laughs> but do you think I'm making this thing up as I go along? Well, well obviously, but... So... Um, I was going to get into Middle Earth puzzles first, and then if we get a chance, we'll talk about which we certainly will. Uh, we'll all talk about Tolkien's A Secret Vice, which is more exciting than it was less exciting than it sounds, and also more exciting than it sounds. Because <laughs> you go like, "Oh, totally, the Secret Vice," and you're like, "What could his Secret Vice do?" Well, he's a linguist; he likes languages. That's not really a Secret Vice. But <laughs> anywho, so are we just have we just done the audio version of clickbait. Yeah, yeah. Um, cl- cl- how does that work? Because you're, they're listening to it's like skip forward five. Don't skip forward five minutes because it'll just be us wobbling on about nonsense. So, um, as opposed to <laughs> set a timer. Let's see five minutes when we're not talking nonsense. <laughs> well, well, yes, yeah, I can guarantee that. So, yeah. Um, so, Colton books do. Uh, Colton books are interesting because they're one of those publishers that seem to just produce tie-in stuff. And they produce all sorts of tie-in weirdness, um, and it's mostly mostly kind of puzzle books and world books and this sort of thing. So we have Middle Earth puzzles, uh, a Riddle Rich journey inspired by J.L. Tolkien's fantasy world, unofficial and unauthorized. Okay. Completely unofficial, completely unauthorized. It feels a bit rogue. It's a bit, a bit roguish, <laughs> but it's um it's been. Uh, by a chap called Tim Dedopoulos. I've got his name wrong. Dedopoulos? Dedopoulos? Dedopoulos. Uh, Tim Dedopoulos has done loads of puzzle books before. He's the guy who does puzzle books. So he does like all sorts of kind of quick riddles to, to confuse the heck out of you. And, and this is kind of more of the same, I have to say. I've uh, gone through the first few pages. Yes, I agree. <laughs> 
and it's okay. So so let's kind of break it down. Um, it claims to be the Great Green Book of Buckland, which it clearly is not because it's not green, though it is a book. So it's, not, I can, it's spelled differently, <laughs> and it's also not that great. But <laughs> okay, now did we review the book before we reviewed the book? Kind of review the book before we reviewed the book. <laughs> One of the problems with it is okay. So if you want to create a, a world a book set in a world. You want to actually make it feel like it's there, mm. like like it's drawn from that world. On the other problem, the problem with Middle Earth puzzles is, it is full of puzzles, and it does have lots of pictures of elves and hobbits, and the elves and hobbits do do are part of the puzzle, but it doesn't require you to understand Elvish in order to sol- solve any of the problems. I feel a bit shortchanged. I know that's a terrible thing to say. It's like. Well, Ed, most people don't speak Quenya. I don't speak Quenya, mm. entirely honest. Um, I wouldn't recognise the word Quenya. Quenya. See? The Elvish dialects. Yes. So, yeah, I I wouldn't... It's one of those things. I I wouldn't necessarily... I, I'd know if I heard it, weirdly. I'd know, I'd know, I'd know Elvish to hear it. Mm. Um, it sounds like, it kind of sounds like... It sounds like French Finnish. Okay. It sounds like sleepy. Yeah. <laughs> it's very like a, so such a calming dialect. It's it's it is the language of ASMR, isn't it? It's yeah. Kind of, you just sit there going because it's very kind of husky and breathless as a mm. language. This is why if I was being really clever, I would actually put in a bit of Tolkien, reading out a bit of an Elvish poetry. Mm. Well, that was lovely. Um, <laughs> That was very nice. But but he speaks it beautifully, but then he would because he's J.L. Tolkien. Yeah. He devised it. Is it but, does it sound like it's a language from people who live you know, the thousands of years normally who don't need to presumably say a lot of small talk? Um, yeah, yeah sort of. It's just a very relaxing and calming language, but you don't It does sound like magic. Yes. Exactly, and he kind of we'll get into that because we'll talk about the secret vice, which is um, a book of languages still coming up. On, still coming on Brave still New words. We'll talk about it in a moment. We're still talking about the, the puzzle book. So the problem with the puzzle book is it's a puzzle book. Yeah, I mean, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm looking at a specific example. I picked this one because it, well, it's an early page. But shall, shall I read the riddle? Let's see whether we can solve it. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we're going to because it involves maths. Okay, but it's entitled Five Armies. The Battle of Five the Five Armies on the slopes of Erebor was a dark and dreadful affair. Even so, after all was done and the dead had been mourned, several of Thorin's companions felt a bickering over their performance on the field. Dory insisted he had done the best in the battle. For every two goblins both were killed, I slew five. I was counting. That may be, Bofa replied. However, while you were killing three, Nori over there was slaughtering four. Every one of your kills took five times as many hammer blows as his, and what's more, three of mine took only, only as many blows as five of his. Forget it, said Dory. Your goblins were weaker. One of yours might have been as strong as four of Nori's quick kills, but mine was stronger kill still, three times the strength of yours. For speed and economy of strikes and strength of foe, I am the best. Is he correct? Let's say yes, because <laughs> no one can be bothered to... Yeah, you'd need a pen and paper. You would. You? I'm, the, the, one, the thing that inspired me, because I'm remembering um, the, the confusing farewell that Bilbo gives at the start of Lord of Rings, where you know, I like half of you half as well as you deserve. Thing. I'm thinking, it's... It reminds me a little bit of that. It could do with Bilbo being present in the riddle, <laughs> but other than that, in, 
Half the people couldn't solve Bilbo's thing in the first place. Anyway, I haven't figured it out, and I read the book 20 years ago. He's very, very drunk, though. <laughs> y- yes, but how drunk do you need to be to solve that? <laughs> uh, we could ask the most intelligent member of the team, which would be Hartley. Oh, Hartley. The, the book bunny. Um, uh, Is the Hart- answer in the back of the book Hart- yes or no? Hartley, Hartley <laughs> thinks that it's Nori who did it, apparently. He's excellent radio with this. Talking to, talking to a bunny rabbit that doesn't actually... His buddies don't really make much noise. Nah. Let's be honest, but yeah, yeah, so that's definitely a nose twitch for Nori. Um, let's check, check and look at the back of the book. Yes, the rabbit's right. Yay, right. Well done. Fantastic. Um, if you're new to the show and you don't know that there's a bunny rabbit, there's a bunny rabbit, it wanders through Al space. Let's not go there, shall we? No. Um, he's in every single episode. He is in every single episode. <laughs> he's just a bunny rabbit and doesn't say anything. Um... <laughs> So where's Wally? <laughs> I think it's a lovely premise. Um, if you have someone who likes puzzles and likes Lord of the Rings, then it's potentially a lovely gift. Um, I kind of get what you're saying about the fact that knowing Elvis should definitely be part of it. But then does that not mean that you can only sell this book to around about thousand people I think- in the world? I think what I kind of wanted from this is for it not just to be all differently phrased riddles that I'm kind of already familiar with. I kind yeah. of I kind of want the thing where there's at least one puzzle that is essentially speak friend and enter, because those are the riddles from Lord of the Rings, and obviously you can't you can't put that in there because it's unauthorized and unofficial. Mm-hmm. What you can do is you can create something that requires that sort of knowledge of the world and none of that's in there these are all logic puzzles so there's um, one of them is the, the that that uh, one of these statements is uh, this first statement is a lie the second statement is a lie and so on that one okay and the answer is half of the truth it's a, it's a deduction logic reason reasoning thing and I saw it in here and I just went I know this one I, I know it I can remember it being being teased to me as a child and going mm. ah, and then you know and adult using it as an excuse to explain to me logic puzzles, which is kind of a useful life skill to have. Yeah, it's a shame given, you know, because they obviously like, they have a culture of riddles in Lord of the Rings, in The Hobbit. Because obviously that's the famous duel between Bilbo and Gollum. Yeah. But I just want someone called Fortune. Yeah. <laughs> that's the answer, but <laughs> find the question. Uh, uh, well... <laughs> It could be anywhere. Fortune, a generous soul favoured by fortune in... can't say that, I don't think Stop so. favouring this, uh, A generous soul favoured by fortune decides to, to do what he did to help his fellow man. Each week he assembled a stack of one pound grain bags and split them up evenly amongst the needy who came for, to him for aid. On one particular week he calculated that five less people had approached him. Each year would be two bags greater instead of... Instead, Four extra people appealed for help, and the share was one bag less. How many bags of grain did he give away each week? I think I, coming from a puzzles background, Hmm. I think that actually logic puzzles revolving around numbers are just not a good idea for general public. No. Um... I think it's one of those things where a lot of people have maybe not had the best maths experience at school, um, and or if you, to be honest, 
we're taught maths by people who really understand maths and it can be very difficult to then impart that knowledge on people to whom it doesn't come naturally because generally maths teachers are people to whom numbers and number skills do come naturally a lot of people have a lot of anxiety about numbers or like i'm not good at numbers i didn't really get on with maths even if you create a logic puzzle if you don't create it in a way that it's quite clearly like a word and actually it's a language based puzzle as soon as it feels numerical people can shut off from it i think it's just not a good idea to throw a load of actual number skill puzzles into a general public puzzle based book yeah i mean that particular puzzle isn't a logic puzzle it's an algebra puzzle yeah which is maths it, yeah. it does really annoy me that actually dyslexia is a thing that we can that we everyone understands and knows about and we we you know work blind this people know what it is and even if you don't know exactly what it is you've heard of it dyscalculia however yeah. is a thing that's just you know people are like that's not a thing no it's totally a thing it's totally a thing same with dyspraxia lots of people haven't heard of dyspraxia either well there was also a because i i remember hearing about some kind of court or, or online experience not might not have been online it was a teaching app thing that someone had devised basically to try and teach mathematical concepts without using language because part of the problem with learning mathematics is you have to learn english first and if you're not if you struggle with some of the language first you don't necessarily get to the math concepts as early as you could do without it okay so you can rely on your understanding of english before you can understand maths if you struggle with english first then that can I, like handicap you i see where you're coming from with that but having spoken to people who are very, very good at maths, that's not necessarily true. No. Because um, their ability to... I'm quantify... half remembering something that's quite subjective. But... Yeah, and their ability <laughs> to quantify things is different. People, It's the way I... Because I was very bad at maths when I was young, and I'm now okay. Uh, it's 120, by the way. <laughs> oh, of course it is. <laughs> 120, um, anyway. Does that qualify as a spoiler? No. Um, but yeah I, I the one of the things one of the, the absolutely marvellous things is that I was actually bumped into a kind of idiot class for maths when I was at the first in like real when very early on in school they were like right okay we're going to send you to idiot class I went to idiot class and I was just like I'm full of idiots uh, and luckily it wasn't idiot class at all it was a extra training extra maths yeah. and extra maths of being bad at maths and one of the things they made me do which I don't know if they could do these days is they made me do sums I found hard whilst running on the spot okay and it was like it's really hard it's like what's really hard running's really hard okay what's also really hard maths ah hang on click I'm not bad at maths I'm just lazy <laughs> uh, and I don't realise it's... I, and because everything else comes to me easily and maths doesn't, I don't bother. Mm. And it's that... It's not that I was just lazy. It was just that I hadn't realised that maths is brain push-ups. Yeah, it doesn't, it's not necessarily a natural thought process. You do have to to work at it. And it's one of, getting back to the spook, it's one of the problems with the spook is it's uneven. Because yeah. some of these are brain push-ups and some of these are just fun... Is yeah, that... I think when I looked through, of the various pages I landed on, only one of them was like a lateral thinking puzzle. And I think when people think riddles 
and mind puzzles you're expecting lateral thinking for riddles because like, that's what they're traditionally that's what riddles are yeah. they're lateral thinking well, if, I mean it's not the first one the first one is a riddle which involves leaves and things but uh, you want a bit, riddle you want a bit of poetry yeah. that is also makes you think so a deep well is ringed with chisels thus I, do I speak true and false what is it Say that again. Repeat a this. A deep one. well yep. is ringed with chisels. Thus, do I speak true and false? Oh, great radio! Is it, is it a keyhole? <laughs> it's your mouth. Oh, I wondered if it was a mouth. Uh, two bodies have I, uh, though both joined in one. The stiller I stand, the faster I run. Who am I? It's a, it's a, also the thing about riddles is when a riddle tally, a tally tells it to you, they're really smug, and you're just like, no, <laughs> no, you don't get the smuggy part. That's why um, it's, it's an hourglass. The answer, cool. Two bodies, about time. Yeah. Blah blah. Yeah, yeah. But it's still, it's good. Like, don't get me wrong. I, de- I deal with riddles. I'm not good at them, but I find them fascinating. And then sometimes I'm like, I know what it is, and I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> You deal with riddles because you, you, your, your day job is sitting on a rock stopping people from their quest. Yeah, that's exactly what, what it is, yeah. Obstacle. Yeah, constant obstacle to to people on their, their various quests. Um, no, uh, one of my, my paying jobs uh, is um, I work in an escape game in Manchester. See, uh, it's more impressive so, than just standing on a bridge. Going, riddles yeah. free. Well, to to an extent, we should buy a toll road. <laughs> How did we get there? Do you need to buy it, or do you just set it up? Well, well, you don't uh, need the whole road. You just need the bit which you you know you're obstructing it. We should build a toll road so we can charge toll legally, and, and rather than you paying money, just say riddles free. <laughs> What is Can your you name? imagine, especially if we did it on a, like something that would be really helpful for commuters? So something that like cut a twenty-minute journey from two two big towns into we a five-minute journey. We should replace the M6 toll bridge with yeah. this. <laughs> and then if they're like, you've got loads of people who are like, oh, this cuts my commute in half, and then they're just waiting because a guy can't get his riddle right. <laughs> the rage, the actual rage. <laughs> we would get stabbed. <laughs> Definitely get stabbed. Yeah, because you've got a choice of I'm going to get angry at the other motorists because I'm in a traffic jam queue, but I'm going to be even more furious if I go down that shortcut because there's going to be a toll bridge and that's just not going to work. Because they're going to infuriate me with this thing which actually means, yes, that's the car I'm sat in. Oh, that was the answer. (laughs) (laughs) And we'd still need to charge, otherwise we wouldn't be able to sustain said toll road. Well, So we'd be paying to really upset people. You either, you either pay an exorbitant fee, and it's an exorbitant fee, or you get passed with the riddle. It's like, riddle's free, thou shalt not Google thee. Because <laughs> <laughs> someone would, well, no, we would, we'd set up the, the Google page with the, the, the answers to the riddles, and they'd be like, ah, you Googled that, that's wrong. Ah! Well, look, this could just be a general congestion management technique. So, you know, we have this busy thoroughfare, but it gets a bit crowded, so... If you think you're smart enough, you can take this shortcut where we're going to have these people ask you some awkward questions. Simpkins, <laughs> why yeah, are and you, if you late? Think you can get, and if you think you can get through it that way, then yeah, if you think if you think you're good enough, do that. Maybe you could preload a card with answers. So it's like you stand in front of the riddle keeper, and it's like, right, okay, 
Uh, I would like 15 riddles, please. Uh, and then you have to answer your 15 riddles, and then he stamps your card, and that's like free, free 15, 15, like free passes. Oh, so like there's, would, a road, would you... there's a non-riddle road, but you have to have the stamped card to get down the non-riddle road. And you've already answered your riddles, so you yeah. can just go straight through. You can through. just keep going. Yeah. So you can join the riddle queue to get your, your riddles <gasps> That's pre-done. what we could do. So people could come on like a Sunday for half an hour, do like five riddles, and then that gets them on the non-riddle road five times. So that's their, that's their time to work. Oh no, they need to do ten, wouldn't they, to come back as well. But yeah, then they could just—they've got like plain sailing to work each day. So what do we do with all the people who ask? You know, give all good answers, like African or European. Oh, well, that point the toll bridge guy explodes, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but then we need to build the toll road again, so they still wouldn't get to work, would they? That, we just need to be very careful with our wording to make sure it was as specific as possible. Yeah. Yeah. No, we should absolutely. This this sounds like a sound investment of potentially millions of pounds worth of money. Yeah. Um, if you are listening and have millions of pounds worth of money and think that this is a genuinely genius idea to stop the stagnation of, of uh, thought in Britain, uh, then 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 head us up. In fairness, I think some of this is actually restricting access to certain parts of the book nook right now. Also. <laughs> but yeah, it'd be fine. <laughs> well, well, no, because again, we, we have Hartley is doing the toll at the moment. He's he's accessing yeah. the forbidden text for us. Well, well, no, it's more people wander past and it. The rabbit wriggles its nose at them, and what he's actually saying is that shall, European. That shall not pass. Answer my riddle, fool. Uh, and they just go, <laughs> "Is it funny?" Yeah. Ah, that's why he looks permanently upset. <laughs> In fairness, it's a bunny. It's actually usually usually the answer to the, a lot of the riddles. That is true, actually. That and I have a carrot, or lettuce, or kale. kale. Are, you, are you saying that the bunny accepts bribes? Oh yes. <laughs> You've met rabbits, yeah, mm. absolutely. Okay. Um, he was he was hiding in a corner. Shall no. we? Oh. Um, I was being scary. He was just was minding his own business. That's what bunnies mostly do. Yeah, yeah. That and think about anyway. Um, shall we move on? To, uh, is this is it time for the secret vice? Shall we talk about? I think it? I think in fairness we did we, we did meet our requirement for talking nonsense. Did talk nonsense. <laughs> Um, I think I would be more lenient about the, the the imbalance of puzzles if it was more visually themed as well. So if you had like Buckland puzzles and the page looked like was kind of like yeah like Buckland themed, and then if you had like Lorian puzzles and it was all leafy, like I think I'd. I'd be more lenient. It is illustrated. Oh no, it is illustrated. Yeah, it. Is that a a code to break or something? There's a there's a appears to be a Hobbit version of Sandy Toxvik in here. (laughs) Isn't that Sandy Toxvik thinking about it? She's not that sharp. Um, But I think it's a book. Ultimately, it's been designed for presents, hasn't it? It's it's a present book. If you're buying someone a present book, I think it needs to be quite stand out yeah the, the cover is beautiful it is yes. a, the cover is very very pretty it is, yeah. a, it is, a, is that embossed gold trim it's that that, that gold trim style um, it is definitely one of those books of the kind of like I know you like Hobbit here's a book <laughs> sort of thing it's, it's charming enough I think it does the job um, and it it's 
it is uh, you're quite right it's a, it's a gift for a, a beloved sibling or friend or whomever who you do love very much but you have no idea what to get them mm. so you get them a, a, and they've got all of the Lord of the Rings yeah because J.R.R. Totley hasn't written anything new <laughs> or has he uh, so that's right. an impressive secret advice he's got there yes okay so um, go on Oh. I'm now curious. <laughs> so, uh, James Horton in A Secret Advice is um, talking on invented languages. Okay. And <coughs> back when Tolkien was alive, there were no such thing as TED Talks. Um, but there were public lectures and this sort of thing. There were sort of things you could attend to 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 see one of the, the master linguists. Yeah, I was remembering because David Gemmell hitchhiked to one of these things. Stood at the back of one of them, and the guy. Uh, this is his, his inspiration for um, the way he used to do book signings, because talking gave this talk on the Elvish language for about I don't know an hour forty five minutes, whatever it was. Uh, answered about two questions on the Elvish language, and that was it. Uh, whereas Tolkien, whereas Gemmell turned up with this novel thing he wanted signing or whatever it was. he had a question he wanted asking. I, I don't remember the specifics of it, but nevertheless, when he came time, when he decided eventually, having you know been published a few times. He was going to do a book signing. No, he was going to do a proper question and answers, and then a signing. So you know, he actually everybody who came along with a question had a chance to get an answer. So he took a different spin on it. But yeah, that's that's interesting actually because before we kind of get into the book, the the whole thing taught me is if you turned up to because he was a master linguist, and one of the things we talked about this a little while ago, the uh, Christopher Totley got the Bodleian Award yes. for going through all of his father's work and you're like that doesn't sound impressive well no he was a master linguist mm. the, the amount of work that he produced you know he was he was the Einstein of, of linguistics um, and the amount of stuff that he produced required someone dedicated to go through it and mine through to find more useful stuff and he's still producing it's weird he's been dead for quite some time and he's still producing interesting stuff to this day because of all the stuff that he wrote down it's Christopher Dottlin's work and a lot of it is to do with languages hilariously he wasn't very good at French oh. which one? Uh, Tolkien yeah, was okay. terrible at French right uh, Christopher Dottlin lives in France but um, uh, Gerald Dottlin was apparently they, they went uh, he and his wife went on a romantic trip to, to Paris hmm. And despite the fact that he's like a master of ancient languages and all their languages and invent his own languages, he couldn't pick up French fast enough. Oh. And his wife was fine with it, fine with French, understood French, no problem. French is great. And she basically, from what it sounds like, she just spent the entire holiday just giving him the side eye. <laughs> <laughs> so you can invent four different languages and you can do all of this, but you. Can't pass the salt. Come on, dear. Well, no, no. In, in fairness, if you make up your own language, it's fine because you know you know the word for a thing. Whereas if everybody else knows the word for a thing and you don't, you... Mm. <laughs> I'd assume he knew you... Latin. So then it is. It's quite surprising to have an understanding of Latin and find French kind of difficult. Wonderfully entertaining, and I bet his wife kind of was pleased to have a linguistic upper hand for for a while. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, okay. There's obviously the yeah one has evolved from the other, but yeah, there's there's obviously that difference between ego some talking versus you know jeune, whatever. So, you know, the, the words have changed a bit. <laughs> so, getting on to the book itself, that's a good advice. It's a collection <laughs> of his lectures, 
that have been compiled and edited. He oh, did wow. So, he, he did... It's quite a simple book. Um, and so are these transcribed lectures? These or, are transcribed lectures. Or these, well, um, well, no, he would have written... He would have had something to read out from, wouldn't he? So it's his notes on... Essentially, it's his thoughts on the ideas of creating languages. Uh, right. Or to put it another way, the book contains the roots of Elvish and all the other languages of Middle-earth. It's based on a lecture he gave in 1931 entitled A Hobby for the Home. Uh, which then, 20 years later, he did gave a second la- la- uh, lecture that he then called The Secret Vice. So he revised his notes. He was giving this one lecture, then he went back to those notes and changed them. Um, his son then put that in a collection called um, The Monsters and the Critics and Other Essays, which is a bunch of Tottenham essays and related Middle-earth essays. Um... Essentially what Tolkien does is he, he uh, examines the relationship between mythology and language and how language creates mythology. How certain ideas are limited by our linguistic structure and ide- the way we think is limited by the language. So, uh, for example, we have a word for ghosts and vampires, whereas uh, this is not a Tolkien example, this is just a general example. Yeah. We we have a word for ghosts and vampires. Uh, your... your um, Middle English speaker didn't, so it was one thing. Mm. So go, so so ghosts were in fact corpses and this sort of thing. And Tolkien coined the word wraith as well, so that's. But it's like until you have a word to define it, it doesn't yeah. exist, and it's that mm. sort of he, he he builds that into it. Um, so it's 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 so it's got it's got a, an essay on uh, phonetic symbolism in there. It's crammed, and uh, the editors have sat down. Uh, editors are Dimitri Finn and Andrew Higgins. Uh, have done everything they can to preserve the sense of the work, but they've also put notes on the back to make it more accessible. Ooh. Because I'm not dumb, but I have to admit there are certain points where I'm sitting there going, "Hey, oh, there's notes." Oh. Oh. Ah, I right. think you have that in everything, though, don't you? Um, not grasping a concept first time immediately isn't necessarily a measure of your understanding of the the idea as a whole it just means that you you're going to access that information slightly differently and notes are a helpful way to to do that if you have that extra information that's worded in a different way to bring you back to that point because as well repetition leads to learning so it's a helpful way of, of doing that um as a as a hardcore word nerd, I, I found myself popping back to it actually, um, and it's unlikely that I will be inventing, inventing complicated fancy worlds that complicated anytime soon. Mm. But it is still kind of fun fun to do that sort of thing. And again, getting to the the puzzle bit that we have, that's kind of why I got really frustrated. It's kind of I want a linguist, I want a proper linguistic puzzle because that to me says Tolkien. Yeah. I'd have done some form of codex at least. Um, oh no, is it called a codex? Substitution code. Um, yeah, where well you've kind of you've got those language tools, and then you use that to break down what's what a message actually says. Oh, I can't think of what they are called. Um, anyway, I think we know what I mean. When you've got symbols, you could easily do that with letters that already exist. That's a speak, friend, and enter. You melon! Oh, oh right. <laughs> that works. Where did that work? Call uh, melon. 
Melon. Oh, they're not saying your friend. They're calling you a melon. <laughs> Is that a uniquely English thing? Do do other people? Because we because you know that's the thing. Calling yeah. people a melon. Well, no, calling people uh, something that isn't a thing that they are. Oh, as a generic insult that's harmless. Oh, we get like I call people a plum all the time. I'm like, oh, you're a plum. I call myself a plum a lot. You when sh- I was younger, I called people a spanner quite often as well. Spanner, shrubbery. There, there, there was that observation I think Mike McIntyre pointed it out to, was that um, you can any noun you can use in a sentence and you can effectively use it to you know, to represent being drunk yeah if you don't I got completely car parked yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I was I've, completely I've lamposted that. yeah mm. I was, it was a conversation I was having with producer Al this morning actually um, Geordie say mortal I was mortal mm. I was Bleep mortal, actually, but uh, I've learnt that from Geordie Shaw. Oh dear, uh, I'm very sorry. I was totally mortaled. Well, uh. it's mortal or immortal. Uh. I was a mortal drunk. It, it is related to always... being dead drunk. You, broadly, yes. Right. Okay. To an extent, actually, being a word nerd and coming from your area of the northeast, that absolutely fuels that because there are still parts of. of dead English that are a common common use in in Newcastle and stuff isn't there like there's still a lot of Saxon isn't there Niem means as I understand it and I'm probably wrong but Niem means hearth mm. um, or you know a warm place to, to, to be Niem so Niem means I'm going home and it survived because Niem sounds like home but Niem's mm. a word in its, in its own right it's yeah. always existed as a word and it's because it sounds like home. People go, oh, you, you can, yeah, you're going home. So it's like that sort of... Geet is another one. Uh, mm. It's Geet uh, means very. Oh, we say gurt in Somerset. Like, it's totally like gurt lush. Same, same. Yeah, I, it's I, the same, 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 same derivative word. Ah, that's cool. I didn't know that. Even though, Marcus, I come from a town called um, Froome. And we were wondering what Froome meant a bit ago when we were on one of our Christmas walks. And um, my friend's girlfriend, I, I think I can't remember where, what site she got it from, but she found it. And Froome comes from the Viking Fro, which means, gosh, that river's very quick. <laughs> <laughs> which is, there's, there's, a, there's a slightly censored version of this town's name, isn't there? There's the bloody hell. <laughs> Blame me quite your valley. But again, English is all More cities should be... This was a campaign at some point. You know, we should name things in a more positive way. We should actually have a ta- town named Yahoo! And, <laughs> so you've got a celebration of your town. You, you, this, this has to become made more patriotic as well. But that then leaves the question, why is the town Wetwang called Wetwang? Oh, God. So, so let's not go there. Yes, the, the definition of this of this town in the meaning of lift was historical. This is exactly what it says on the tin. <laughs> it's it's interesting that language has become so compacted. It's like mm. you know the classic one I always I, I love is goodbye because goodbye used to be uh, may God be God be with you. Mm. Well, may yeah. God be with you. I love that to troll atheists. There's a certain sort of atheist that as soon as you tell tell them it's like you do realize that goodbye is God be with you, and they're like I have to say farewell from now on. You're like fair enough. <laughs> not yourself apples did you know that farewell no don't <laughs> <laughs> I was English is such um, 
like I think it's a lovely language to play with but it's just a very interesting language the more and more you learn about it just because of how many other languages have created the components we've stolen that many words from we, we, we do export words as well uh, occasionally mm. but we I, import a hell of a lot of words I find fascinating with, with reading The Secret of Vice I found, what I found fascinating again it's one of those books that now sits on my shelf with the other writing books it's one of the reference writing books that I've got um, Wood for the Trees by the way you should all read Wood for the Trees it's a great writing book just as a total aside it's um, about how to survive in the publishing industry rather than writing in general but anyway just as a total aside um, one of the things I found fascinating is that Tolkien's languages inform his world and form his world, mm-hmm. world and then we compare that to say Klingon which is a nonsense language they made up for the movies I was thinking about that I mean, Mark Ockrand devised it and codified it well there's two well, there's two types of Klingon there's Klingon E and there's Klingon Klingon E was invented for a tabletop role playing game and then there's Klingon which was invented for the movies and they've since been basically split into high Klingon and um, low Klingon so Klingon E is high Klingon I think and like we are all Klingon and new Klingon but they're totally different languages so it's like well what happened to their culture well we can write a story about that which is lovely because they source, they, they've become this well of inspiration yeah, for stories about Klingon, but they don't form the world. Mm. The words themselves don't build the world. It's kind of they've retrofitted the stories around it rather than the other way around. Mm. Yeah, because that interesting um, when because I my original degree is psychology and philosophy, and one of the interesting principles within both of those is that idea of does language create thought and can there be thought without language and um, I think Klingon's a very interesting one because obviously it's been designed to be naturally aggressive Um, I watched a very interesting I'm pretty sure it was just a YouTube um, but it was just a short documentary about a guy who's taught his daughter Klingon as a first language and all the challenges that come with that Um, but I just remember sitting back and being like but because language informs thought there's not a lot of nice necessarily nice words in Klingon this and and concepts and then they asked about other challenges They're like well what about things that Klingon doesn't have a word for and he was like actually it was one of the first difficulties they had when she was a baby was most things <laughs> that we use for babies there isn't a Klingon word for there isn't a word for baby bottle or like <laughs> teat and steriliser and nappies and they were like this is actually does a baby need to know the word steriliser but I think because in ter- when you're trying to bring a child up with a oh, first yeah. language yeah. that needs to be the language that they're mm. you can't you can't wait until you think they're kind of cognizant because you don't know we, d- we don't know when that how happens. do they fix that do they just give up on the entire study project I don't remember what he said the answer was but no they d- they never gave up she was four and her first language was Klingon no it forms something because I remember because I, I think I had the, the Klingon dictionary the book of this well one of the v- earlier versions of it presumably because I know there have been university courses on the thing so the language has evolved since I got this book but um, but you know, the the greeting in Klingon was looking at how can I say I'm pronouncing this wrong? Nuknek, which was basically, this is, in, in English you'd say it was, it was hello, whereas the Klingon is actually, what do you want? So. <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting thing when just you're learning any new language, is just because there's words that we get translated based on how we they are used. 
to how we would use them and then there's translations that are the literal translations of this is what this means a good many years ago so I was in my 20s when this happened uh, I had a I was between stopped doing journalism for a while I was about to another journalism job was about to start I needed something and I got a job as a, as an administrator for what would become Shua Start. Okay. So essentially I was organising midwives. Mm. And essentially I'd get up, I'd pack the midwives' bags, I'd make sure everything was okay. They would turn up, they'd make sure the bags were packed and off they would go. I would essentially, you know, make sure lunch expenses were sorted out and all of this. And that was that was my job. I was mm. essentially a minion for, for all of these incredibly lovely, powerful women who lived in who this is King's Cross. I'm trying to okay. imagine there was a bright yellow thing with goggles on. Uh, yeah, working. essentially a minion. And I was doing all of this kind of setup for them, and it was because it was it was a pre sure start start but sure start like scheme, mm-hmm. shall we say? And I was essentially filling in because, ironically, the, the 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 person who would normally do this was having a baby, so maternity <laughs> coverage. Um. I was running around doing all this stuff. One one of my responsibilities was making sure that uh, translators. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we had um, what was going to be a complicated birth, and due to legal reasons, they were flying in from Heathrow. Okay. Uh, literally flying in, and it was going to be like a rush. You know, get the midwife, call the midwife, get it sorted ASAP. Um, because they, they'd flown, flown this poor woman over because she couldn't have the child in the country that she was coming from. Okay. She didn't speak English. Mm-hmm. The language that was on the books, we only had two translators and they were both out. One was ill, one was working oh, elsewhere. No. Other side, no way we could. It was kind of like a last minute, six o'clock in the morning, telephone conversation. Yeah. Kind of rushed to work. So I'm like, is there any other language that we can use? To, to get this and they, were, and they tell me and I'm like you're kidding me so I phone round I find a translator they're like what I'm like yes you get there and it's the, 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 the birth happens and what I learned is that there's no Klingon word for push <laughs> use Forcefulness. A battle cry is what they used. <laughs> Apparently, this is the conversation. I, this is the conversation I had with them later. I, I wish, I wish I could remember the name of the translator. But Thank they goodness lovely. for you, Ed. <laughs> because um, who else would have been able to find a Klingon speaker on short yeah. notice? Uh, I, I found a local comic shop. That's my, my first thought. Was, Do you know any Klingon speakers? We, someone is desperately needed we've got them a taxi we've got it's them like a genuinely a medical emergency and it's the only option but it's <laughs> nice though that because because Star Trek created a language there is a language that certain Star Trek fans can use and then it doesn't matter what language they they speak their first language is they can still communicate with each other about what they like about Star Trek that's nice but so but that says but we have been born into that as well why does everyone <laughs> sound so cross <laughs> It sounded quite melodic when I was inside. <laughs> There's a child somewhere, probably still in London, who who was born to yeah, word to cling on. <laughs> Battle cry. <laughs> That's amazing. Are there all of apostrophes on this person's birth certificate? I have no idea. <laughs> 
Because it was literally, it was like a one and done, and then I think about three or four days later, I, I went on to my next assignment yeah. with that agency. So it was just like, and it was only until, it's one of those things where your brain just goes, oh, that's a bit odd. And I can. So um, I think we've run out of. So shall we talk to a lovely author? Oh, a lovely author. Best kind? In, you know, in English, by the way. Um, so yes, uh, coming up next, a lovely author. Neil Gaiman, welcome to Brave New Words. Hello, Ed. How are you? I'm very well, very well. And I just have to say I'm an enormous fan of your work. I'm sure you hear that all the time. Thank you so much. Um, so, uh, do you mind if we get Bob straight into it? No, no. Go for it. Okay. So, how often is American Gods from the book, the TV show from the book? Um... It's what a great question. Um, it's not very distant. It's close, but it's more like if if the book is a um, if the book is a house, the TV show is a neighborhood. Um, you know, the book by definition follows one person. Uh, it follows Shadow. Through, um, through you know, meeting Mr. Wednesday, through the things that happen to him, anybody we encounter, on the whole, is encountered through Shadow's eyes and through his point of view. Um, the TV series, uh, to use a word coined by The Simpsons, embiggens, and it is a glorious job of embiggening. So, um. We get to see things that Shadow has no knowledge of, um, and some of that stuff is some of my favorite material. There's one episode, um, which is just the the story of Laura, Shadow's dead wife, before he meets her, their relationship, what goes wrong, what happens when he goes to prison, what happens when she dies. And what happens afterwards? So it's it's a really, you know, it's stuff that I simply couldn't have done in the book. Making a TV show is a more collaborative experience than uh, making a book, though obviously making books is more collaborative than people think. Um, what was the most fun bit about working with Fuller and Green? I think the most fun bit was just seeing things that I would, simply never have thought of doing that I loved um, it wasn't even hearing about them it was that point where all of a sudden you are watching um, very good. they took an idea from the book which was uh, media as as Lucille Ball and the first time we meet her it's on an old TV as Lucille Ball um, as as Lucy from the Lucy Show, as Lucy Ricardo, um, and they then took that and started playing with it. They started going, "Well, who would we like to see Gillian Anderson portray? Uh, we have an actress in Gillian who can, frankly, do anything or anyone she wants. So, who are we going to see her do?" And that in itself becomes an absolute delight as as media bends and shapes and transmutes herself 
into iconic characters. Um, and I don't even really want to give give my favorites away because they're waiting for people. Um, but that, I think, the most delight I had was watching a scene with Jillian playing somebody I'd never expected her to portray in the limo, giving the poor technical boy a rough time. And it's a wonderful, wonderful scene. And she is such an astonishing actress. And the whole thing was just, I, I love this. And this would never have come out of my head. What was the, uh, as the, the writer and, you know, the person who, who did all these characters into, into existence, what was the, the toughest compromise that you had to do for during the television process? I think the toughest compromise is just um, either watching things get shorter or watching things shift in order to to gain a televisual shape. Um, and also, I guess the fact that things move move faster and bigger on television. Um, one of the things I loved doing with the book was the incredibly slow, slow boil of the book. Um, you, you know, there's the first third of the book where almost nothing weird happens and then the weird shit begins and, and stuff. And with this, it was very much Michael and Brian saying, no, weird shit has to start at the beginning. We have to have a, we are living in a weird shit world and we have to tell people that. Um, and I think that was the thing that was probably in some ways hardest for me to adapt to. But on the other hand, um, you know, the, the adaptation is astoundingly faithful as, as anybody who watches the first couple of episodes will see. They really, at least at the beginning, they are using American gods as their, um, as, as a, as sort of as a tailor's dummy to hang their clothes on. And it's a very beautiful one. How many times do you think that an audience who, who doesn't know the work will uh, be so shocked they fall off their chair? And are there any particular moments they're looking forward to when that happens? Well, I, I mean, this is a book in which um, at the end of chapter one, Boquis, who is the Queen of Sheba, um, who is also a, a working, as a working girl in, in Los Angeles as a sex worker, um, absorbs a man into her vagina, who is never seen again. And I was uh, kind of shocked when Brian and Michael were like, oh, of course we will make sure, you know, that scene has to be in the first episode and we have to shoot it like it's written. And they did. So anybody who has no idea what they're expecting, um, that is definitely, I don't know if it'll make people fall off their chairs. People are very well planted in, in big, comfortable chairs. But I think jaws will drop, and perhaps cups of tea may hit the floor. Excellent. Um, 
We've come an awful long way since Neverwhere, haven't we? Um, what was that process like compared to this process? Yeah, the, the the strangest thing with Neverwhere is I look back at it, and I think it the 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 story has aged really well, and the script has aged really well. Um, the biggest problem that Neverwhere had was just it was made five or six years too early. Um, the, the Neither the technology nor the people to make it were around then. All of, all of the people who would have been the directors of Neverwhere were still in film school. Um, you know, the Edgar Wrights and the Toby Youngs and those guys who, who would have done it justice. Um, On that subject, um, what's happening with Good Omens? Um, um, I can say that I have written a six episode, six hour long episodes of, of Good Omens. I can say that it has been incredibly well received. Um, I'm glad to say by, by the people who, who get to read it. And, um, and I believe that it was announced at one of the, fancy Edinburgh TV things that uh, the BBC would be making it in association with with, uh, Amazon. So I guess I can say that, although um, that's about as much as I can say. I'm really proud of it. I can say that. And I can also say that I really, you know, Terry Pratchett gave me the job of writing it for him so that he could see it while he could still watch things and before he passed away. And then Terry went too soon. And I wrote it every day in this sort of strange world of writing something very funny for my friend who had gone, which was very sad. You are an enormously experienced and enormously well-read author. Is there anything else that you want to see on television that you want to be involved in putting on television? Yeah, there are, there are a bunch of things right now um, which are kind of fun, and a lot of them are things that have been uh, either orbiting or in the back of my mighty years. Um, and it's genuinely fun. I'm getting to work with uh, with Fremantle Media who are making American Gods and are just incredibly nice people. So when I say to them what about doing a series about this they uh, their attitude is mostly that sounds like a great idea. How do we how do we make it happen? And uh, so forth. The, the, the trick right now is to not allow myself to turn into somebody who does nothing but television because I have a novel to finish. Uh, so, and you know, I, I also, I'm incredibly amused right now by the fact that in February, my Norse mythology book comes out just because I love the fact that it looks like I planned it. <laughs> but here, for anybody who's who's reading American God, who reading American Gods, who's watching American Gods, here's a great book on Norse mythology, which will give you a sort of 
um, you know, some useful primer to a lot of what's going on in the series. And the the glorious silly thing about that is I've been working on the Norse mythology book since 2008, and um, it's. It's this wonderful coincidence. The books are coming. The book is coming out, you know, two months before the TV series does. Uh, Simpsons or Futurama? Um, that's a really hard one because the Simpsons. Um, I, I've been in the Simpsons. I'm now a character, and I'm not just a character. I'm an evil character, um, and it is even possible that next Halloween we will have more to say about that. Um, but frankly, I'm still waiting for somebody to come to me and say, Neil, it is your turn to be a head in a jar. So, uh, sim- Sorry, Bast or Loki? Um, Bast, she's sexier. And finally- Oh, no, Loki, he's sexier. Oh, no, Bast. Oh, no, Loki. Oh, no, Bast. Uh, sorry. <laughs> and finally, uh, truth or beauty? Um, well, according to the poets, uh, truth is beauty and beauty is truth. Um, so I guess I doesn't really matter if you take either, you get both. It's a kind of magical two for one deal. Um, but I, but if, but if pushed, I would take, uh, I would take truth. Uh, Mr. Neil Gaiman, thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank you. That was fun. They were lovely. They were really lovely. So, yeah. Um, so, we've talked about two Tolkien books, neither of which are actually anything to do with Hobbits or Middle Earth. <laughs> and um, and this is weird, isn't it? Because there's so many old... There's so many bits of The Lord of the Rings that are still out there. Because we were talking about you know missing the, the movies and they were coming back. Yeah. Well, that's not going to happen because there's no right, non, no rights to anything like that's left and now exist. They've done the, they've done the Hobbit, right, which they had the rights to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is Lord of the Rings, which they had the rights to. And no one has the rights to the Silmarillion or any of the unfinished tales. Okay, they've never been released. The estate totally doesn't want to release them, so they ain't happening. I thought Silmarillion was happening. Nope. Oh, okay. Um, is there something that's happening? Oh, is it I thought, Children of Hurin? I'm sure there's something that's being televised or filmed at least. Anything that's in the anything that's either in the appendices and notes in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, I could be wrong, but anything that's in those bits, yeah. they can do stuff with. Okay. Which is why um, in The Hobbit, when they're talking about those the, the gems, mm. they specifically don't name them. Okay. Because if they named them, that's described in the Cimmerillion. Right. So they don't name them. They're just like, this is what they do. This, these uh, are gems of. Is that why they don't explain kind of the class of wizards? Like, they don't really they don't really explain who Radagast is, do they? It's just like, he's just Radagast the Brown, is it? Um, and the, yeah, they don't really explain that much. But is, is that because that's not in There's two Lord others. of the Rings? I can't remember their names. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because they're, they're mentioned, but they're not named until yeah. other works that they don't have the rights to. And then, yeah, they don't explain the colour classes, do they, in, in Lord of the Rings? It's, it's in, um, is that in Silmarillion? Yeah, it's in, yeah. I, think, I, think in Lord, I think in The Hobbit it's implied. Yeah, um, but it's not actually specifically... 
because they don't Disgust. have the, and this is one of the things that really annoys me when people are like but they made three movies out of it how dare they and it's like no if you're gonna spend the money on because clearly Peter I mean this is not really books but Peter F. Jackson just looked at the, the what he had and just basically went I'm alright I'm gonna do this this is another X number of years of my life mm-hmm. um if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go to town. You know, I'm going yeah, to go to town and do every single element. Especially because originally he didn't want to do it. So if you're going to do it, you've got to create a project that you're still going to be passionate about afterwards. And uh, you know, people complain. It's like, oh, but there's there's an entire elf romance subplot, and it's like, yeah, there is. A, get over it. B, it mm. needs it because there there aren't enough women in the Lord yeah. of the Rings or in the Hobbit. And also more elf action. But they put it in afterwards, didn't they? All the stuff with Killy and... Oh, I can't remember her name. But the the elf. Um, they filmed that when they were done filming. They kind of sat back and, like you said, went, it is genuinely missing something. This this isn't a story yet. And so then when got got both those actors back in and created a whole subplot it's amazing it's a great subplot yeah it works really well it's just so clever that you can do that as well because it's a fantasy world where all the all the all the heavy lifting has been done so you just insert characters and watch it play Mm. which is you know how you tell stories should we bugger off maybe tea time tea Tea time tea tea I approve of this plan. We're going to go and have a cup of tea. So should you. Uh, like, subscribe, share, tell all your friends. Uh, if you're on iTunes... We're uh, having lots of tea. <laughs> if you're on iTunes, please um, give us a rating. Even if it's a, this is rubbish, that's fine. Just put a comment on there. It's really, really does help us out. So, um, and um, it's goodbye from myself, Ed Fortune. It's goodbye from Ross. Goodbye from Dal. Bye! Bye! <laughs>